always a blessing to me personally because uh, God chose to save me uh, the day before Easter. So yesterday, a Saturday, was when he, His grace came to me. And so the, I remember the first Easter, you know, the first resurrection worship service as a brand new Christian. We had a little Volkswagen, uh, tan Volkswagen, and so we're driving off to the first time we ever went to church as a Christian. And uh, I was so excited. I mean, I felt like, you know, what, what's the uh, Walt Disney, uh, I feel like Herbie Mobile, that we're above the ground and we're flying all the way right to church. It was so exciting. And, uh, and my prayer has been every year since, I, I still want to lose that sense of joy, delight, worship, praise for God for all that He's done, even though the years have gone by. And hopefully you've come with that same heart in, today to worship the risen Savior. Uh, I invite you uh, to take your Bibles to the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, chapter 15. Familiar passage. You know, it's one that's commonly preached on uh, Resurrection Sunday. Beginning at verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised." And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this this life only we are all people most to be pitied. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's with delight we come to you this Lord's Day to... Uh, hear you speak to us and echo into our ears a message that we're familiar with, that your Son, by, by the power of the Spirit of God, was raised from the dead, and the victory now has been won. I pray, Father, that that, that truth, that reality, would not only be re- brought into our memory, but into our very hearts and being, Lord. You would stir us with hearts of praise, adoration, and service to you. You might even take this message, Father, and be kind and and open up the heart of an unbeliever today. They might come to see their need for Christ and come in faith, not only having forgiveness of sin, but the gift of everlasting life. Bless our time together. Open our hearts and our ears. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So when the Beatles broke up, John Lennon, Went out on a solo career. One of the first songs he wrote came well known. Was, was a song called "Imagine," and uh, you know he says, "Imagine, close your eyes and imagine a world where there's no heaven." Okay, imagine a world where there's no hell. He goes on to say, "Imagine a world where there's no religion, basically that there's no God." And then, then the echo comes in of the chorus. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. You know, Lenin was saying, maybe I'm a dreamer. Maybe I'm having a pipe dream. And just if everybody would join and share in my little pipe dream, we would all be what? One. There would be peace and unity and love would reign around the world. Well, here's the problem with that song, is it's not reality. It is a pipe dream. It's, it's imagining something that isn't real. And saying, if what isn't real is real, then I'd have peace in my heart. Well, I'm glad you've joined us today uh, as we come to worship the risen Savior. 
we've really come to remember and, and, and worship the greatest historical event that's ever happened in mankind. It, it, it's truly, truly amazing. We're, we're worshiping a historical event that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, died. He was nailed by spikes to a cross. And then as he gave up the ghost, as, as, as he said, it is finished, he was what? Buried for three days in a tomb. And then after three days, he victoriously, the, the door was rolled away, and we know the story. All of a sudden, he, he, was, he was raised from the dead. And uh, we're turning ourselves to chapter 15 today because of all the accounts of Christ's resurrection, this is one of the longest, I mean, the, dealing with the subject of resurrection. And uh, we've, I've come today to do what Paul said he was going to do at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians. If you have 1 Corinthians open up, look at verse 1. Now it reminds you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. And so I've come to do what Paul did as he wrote this letter, is to remind you and to preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to do for most of you. It's a reminder, right? We all know the story of our Lord and His death, burial, and resurrection. Many of you grew up in the church. And uh, it's good news. This is the good news of the resurrection. And so it's the good news we see in the gospel in verse 3 is the death the gospel in verse 3 is the burial. In verse 4, it's the crowning truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to preach to you today. I want to preach to you, first of all, the, the gospel, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But we're going to focus mainly this morning from chapter 15 on the re resurrection. Uh, see, Paul's not preaching some imaginary gospel, some pipe dream kind of a gospel Oh, if everyone just believed this, there'd be peace in the world. That's not it at all. He came to preach a historical fact. I mean, this is a historical fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead bodily. Uh, the resurrection Sunday had to be preceded by a Good Friday. He was, he was crucified. And it's a historical fact that on the third day he rose from the dead. That's not my opinion. That's not the opinion of a lot of other people. It's, it's a fact. It's, it's not just dogma. It's not dogma from the church. It's not traditionalism that's come out of the church. It's not quirky Christianity. It's not the Im imagination of some zealot or a songwriter or a singer. It's simply a historical fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And hopefully you view it that way. As Christians, you should. And if you're here as a non-believer, you should realize what we're talking about here in church isn't just something that's, oh, that's in the Bible. No, we're talking about something, yes, the Bible records it, but historically, it's a fact that happened. There was a man named Jesus Christ who was in a tomb, and on the third day, the door was burst open, and out he came victoriously alive. You say, well, Don, I, that's your opinion. It's not my opinion. That's your opinion. You don't really believe in the miracles of the Bible like, like that, do you? That Jesus Christ rose from the dead? I mean, if it helps you and helps these people here today to feel better, to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that, that's okay for you. But I'm not there. Well, hold on and listen as we go through this chapter. This is not mere opinion that Jesus walked on the earth for 30, 30 years, up to the age of 30. Historical fact that he was executed on the cross. It's a historical fact that he was buried and put in a tomb, that a stone was rolled in front of the grave. It's a historical fact that on the third day he burst forth alive, the, 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 the stone was removed. And uh, that's not opinion, that's fact. It's backed by a host of reliable witnesses that saw the risen Savior. It's backed uh, by the Apostle Paul himself, who even didn't see, the, see Christ immediately raised from the dead. But we read in Acts 9 that he also witnessed and spoke to and heard from the risen Savior. We realize that there were 500 witnesses. There were the witnesses of the apostles. Uh, Paul says, even me, I, I know that he rose from the dead. I saw the risen Savior. 
It's a historical fact, and the whole Christian faith is built on the fact of the resurrection of Christ. It's the main thing. It's the main thing of our faith. Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. And everything in your life as a Christian ties into that resurrection. And if you could remove the resurrection, you unravel all of Christianity, and there is no more Christian faith. You realize that. That's how important the resurrection truly is. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then truly Jesus is not the Savior, and, and He's not the Son of God, and, and, uh, and then everything else that He preached is, is, is false. It's amazing that such a fundamental truth of the resurrection is something that is so neglected today. It's neglected in many churches. You know, there was never an intent to have a Easter Sunday. Do you realize that? That, that? that wasn't part of God's plan. Once a year, I want you to get together and remember that I raised from the dead and get all dressed up and go to church and re- worship the risen Savior. You know what God's intent was? Every single Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, I want you to gather as my people and worship the risen Christ. And so we kind of backed off. You know, it's become kind of an annual remembrance. Some of the songs we sing in our hymn book are are songs we only sing once a year. To dust them off and bring them out and sing them rather than being a part of our, our regular worship of the risen Savior. You know, immediately following the resurrection, uh, the church began to gather on the first day of the week. Every Sunday is the Lord's Day. But why? Because that's the day that He rose from the dead. Now, this morning I invite you, as we turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, as we see one of the whole chapters given over to the resurrection. And because the resurrection is so foundational, it's, uh, it's always been an area where People have wanted to attack Christianity. They'll aim their, their, their rifle or their gun at the resurrection. They'll put their crosshairs right on the resurrection. Because if you can take out the resurrection, as I said, you can take out the Christian faith. Uh, apparently, there were some people who had been working at that time uh, their way into the church of Corinth. They brought in a sense of false teaching about the resurrection of Christ. We see down in verse 12 where Paul writes, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So that that was whispering through the church. It was was a false teaching of the church. We don't know who was teaching it. We don't know why they were teaching it. It could have been the uh, the Gnostics that had come into the church. That is a, a form of Christianity and Greek philosophy that had merged together, that had kind of a dualistic view of man. Uh, the Gnostics believed that, that the body was bad, that the soul is good. So what you have to do is separate the, the body that's bad from the soul that's good. So you can see why if you believe that the body is bad and evil and rotten spiritually, then why would you want to resurrect up a dead body that's like that? You'd want it to die. And so you, you would do away with any doctrine of a resurrection. And perhaps that's what happened to the church Paul realized how destructive such a false teaching was. And so as he's writing and correcting some of the doctrine at first in Corinth, he's, he's, he's laying straight what the implications are if, in fact, Christ did not rise from the dead. Now, what he does, is it, which makes it a little difficult for the preacher to preach on, on uh, Resurrection uh, Sunday, what he does is he, he presents his case in the negative. And what I want to do is preach the case in the positive and, 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 and proclaim the resurrection of Christ. But instead he takes kind of a John Lennon approach and he says, imagine. Imagine what it would be like if, and then he goes through some consequences, if Christ did not rise from the dead. Imagine what it would be like if there was uh, no Easter on the calendar. Imagine what it would be like uh, if, in fact, that uh, there was no resurrection of Christ. So what we're going to do as we go through this passage is uh, follow Paul's teaching. 
And uh, we're going to imagine, we're going to imagine what it would be like if Christ did not rise from the dead. What would be different in your life if Christ had not risen from the dead? I mean, think about your, not past life, but also your present, future life, the life of this church, its ministry. If you go back more than 2,000 years ago, there was a, a man named Jesus who was arrested. Okay, you read about that, and you go back and you realize that he stirred things up. There was an insurrection they, they, they thought was taking place. They, they grabbed him, they arrested him, they brought him on, put him on trial in front of Pilate. They mocked him, they beat him, they crucified him, he died. They spat upon him. And then the, some of his friends came along, took him off the cross, and, and took him off to a, uh, to a tomb that had been prepared. And uh, prepared his body, perhaps put the stone back over the tomb, the face of it. And that's the end. That's it. That's the end. What if that's the end? The great moral teacher who taught, who lived, who died, who was buried, and the rock was put in front of the, the, the door of the tomb, and the end. That's where Scripture ends. Three days later, he's still in the grave. Four days later, he's still in the grave. Five days later, he's still in the grave. More than 2,000 years later, his bones are somewhere in some tomb, somewhere in Jerusalem, and that was it. I mean, he meant to die for the sins of the world. That's why he probably did this. And, and so there was some form of sacrifice, but no resurrection. And so imagine with me what it would be like if Christ never rose from the dead. Imagine how your life might be different. How my life might be different. This makes for a difficult passage. Like I said, what I want to do is this. He presents the negative. At the end of the negative, I want to preach the positive consequence of the negative. So we're going to hear the negative and the positive. Paul asks us to imagine five sad consequences that would affect all of our lives if Christ had not been raised from the dead. Rather than negative message, I want this to be positive, so I want to preach what Christ did do in the implication in our lives by way of application. And here's my expectant prayer. As I prayed in preparation for preaching the Word of God today, is my prayer was this, that there might be, by God's kindness, some that have joined us today who have yet to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and my prayer has been, and it's expectantly being prayed even as I speak, is that God might take the word of the resurrection of Christ, the gospel of his death, burial, and resurrection, and drive it deep into the heart of anyone without Christ, that they might see this is real, this is transformative, this is, this is, this is glorious, and it might be brought to trust in Christ as your Savior and your Lord, and leave through those double doors a Christian, with the hope of everlasting life. That's my prayer, and that's, that continues to be my expectancy. That you might see and believe that Jesus Christ is alive. You might see Him as your valuable treasure. You might see Him as, as the one you, you'd want to embrace and to love and to serve and to worship, your heavenly King. So imagine, imagine with me that Christ had not been raised. Here's the first consequence that Paul brings up, verse 13. My gospel preaching would be in vain, he says, if that was the case. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, okay, and Christ has not been raised, so Christ isn't raised, and if Christ has not been raised, here's the consequence, then our preaching is what? In vain. There was no resurrection. If there was no resurrection, there's no good news because the, the preachers preach the good news. And the words that would come out of Paul's mouth would be empty, vain words, hollow words, powerless words, words to, that are unable to change anyone's life. But if we preach the resurrection and there is no resurrection, then what does that make the preacher, Paul says? A liar. In other words, if there's no resurrection, he's preaching the resurrection. Now, what does that make the preacher? A liar, verse 15. 
And we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. So think about this, uh, if that question ever crossed your mind. What motive would the apostles have had to go around and preach such good news of the resurrection if Christ didn't really rise from the dead, raised from the dead? What, what, what would motivate them to, do, to go around the, the known world preaching Christ's resurrection? Because it wouldn't have been popularity. We know that. Uh, I mean, they, they preached a message that was not a very popular one. They were mocked. They were beat. They were jailed. They were suffering. So it wasn't po- popularity they were after. Uh, it brought them, what, loss instead of gain. So why would they do that for a lie? Uh, it wasn't monetary gain. I, you can't find any sense in which any of the, the uh, apostles, the apostle Paul himself, really had a dime to their name. Uh, even Jesus, who we see in his ministry, you know, had to borrow a donkey. So, I mean, there's no money involved here. So what would drive them if it was all a lie? And if it was a lie, they had plenty of time to recant before they died. They never recanted. Well, maybe they were deluded. Maybe those, those 11 men were, were deluded. Maybe 12 counting Paul. Well, were all 11 deluded? Were all 500 witnesses that saw the risen Savior, were they deluded? Was the Apostle Paul deluded when he saw the risen Savior on on the road to Damascus? I mean, whatever he witnessed, by the way, that, that to me is so compelling, is the Acts 9 transformation of the Apostle Paul. Whatever he witnessed on that road to Damascus, here's a guy going off, killing Christians, uh, he's, he, he's persecuting believers. That's his big thrill in life. And on the road to do that, to, to, to round up some more, God stopped him in his tracks. He saw the risen Savior and he what? He changed. And from a persecutor, he became what? A preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would he do that for a lie? And the answer, I believe, would be no. This makes the gospel very, very compelling. You know, besides Paul being a liar, then I have to take this personally myself. What does that make me? I mean, I'm up here preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ to those of you who might not believe. And I'm preaching it with what I believe is the power of God. But, but if I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, His resurrection to you, and Christ didn't rise from the dead, what am I? I'm a liar. I might, be deceived, I might be a deceived liar, but I'm standing up here lying to each one of you individually right now. And even if that's not my intent, that, that's the effect. And there's, uh, in fact, that would make me kind of a flim-flam man, wouldn't it? Dangling empty promises right before your hearts and your eyes and your ears that are no more than lies. In fact, I'm a, I'm a big bag of hot air if Christ did not rise from the dead. The message that's coming out of the, these lips is worthless, it's empty, it's vain, they're powerless, they're unable to do anything, they can't change anything, they're just lies that are going out into your ears. So that's the bad news. That, those are the consequences, the imagined part of, of, of the first consequence. But I don't want to stop there. I want us to see the positive uh, opposite truth that comes from this. The good news is, the positive side of Paul's words are these, Christ is risen from the dead. And I am a preacher of the gospel, Paul says. And what I say is not vanity coming out of my lips, it's truth. That's the consequence of the risen Savior. So when a, when a man gets up like Paul and he preaches the gospel, he's preaching it with power, he's preaching truth, and he's preaching a message that isn't empty, it isn't hot air. It's a message that actually, you know what it does? It changes lives. I know it's changed my life. And I know it's changed many of your, your lives. And you can stand up right now and tell me a testimony of how I heard about the gospel. And it changed me. That's how we know it's true. And so preaching is not in vain. 
In fact, Paul said to the Romans in 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So you can see how if there's no resurrection that the, the Christian faith begins to kind of unravel. Do you see how this happens? That's what Paul's doing. is pulling on it. It's beginning to unravel if he did not rise from the dead. If the prophets talking about Christ were liars, if Paul was a liar, if the apostles were liars, if everyone after them who testified of, of the resurrection of Christ, if they're all liars... That really means the Bible's a lie. You realize that because if the prophets lied, if all the apostles lied, then the book they wrote, this book's full of, of lies. And if this book's full of lies, all the doctrines that we believe that come out of this book aren't true. So we believe in the law of God. Well, that's, we'll throw that one out. Believe in the deity of Christ. Let's throw that one out. It's all lies. The miracles, throw those out. Those are all lies. The hope of everlasting life is a lie. We're ending up on the, on the John Lennon camp here pretty soon. And, 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 of course, he's passed off into eternity. And he, now he knows the truth. And it's not a pipe dream. The second consequence is that comes from Christ not being raised from the dead. And uh, not only does it affect the preacher, it affects you. Here's the consequence to each of us here today. Verse 14. And your faith is what? Vain. You see how it's logically this downward spiral? Imagine that Christ did not rise from the dead. If there's no resurrection, the, preaching are, the preachers are preaching lies. And uh, then if you believe those lies, and now you say you have faith in those lies, that makes your faith to be what? Empty, vain, hollow. And by the way, not only just you individually, but think of every person who's ever professed faith in Christ having an empty faith that is absolutely worthless. All those disciples that gave up their fishing business, empty. It's, they, their faith is empty. They did it for nothing. Left families behind, empty. Think of the... the uh, Hall of Faith there in Hebrews chapter 11, all the names that are listed there, really becomes a hall of fools without any faith at all. The Abels, the Enochs, the Noahs, the Abraham, the Jacobs, the Josephs, all of them are fools, no faith. All the martyrs that laid down their life for, for the faith, what a waste. You know, burned at the stake, uh, tortured, you know, some were crucified, like some of the apostles, upside down, deluded, empty. And then you think of all the Christian books. I don't know how many Christian books have been written since Jesus was on the earth, but, you know, I've got a few hundred in my library, in, in my office, and, I mean, it's like a small percentage of all the books that have ever been written. You know, we went through Pilgrim's Progress recently, remember that as a church, and empty. Foolish. No truth behind it at all. If you ever read through Calvin's Institutes, fool, foolish. The guy was a man, he didn't know what he was talking about, and he had false faith. Think of all the hymns that have been written. By all the believer, professing believers that uh, wrote the hymns. And there, there's tens of thousands of hymns that have been written over the years, maybe more than, than that. But just kind of empty ditties that are written that have absolutely written by people without true faith all the wesley hymns all the isaac watts hymns men who didn't have real faith so unless we get lost in our imagination and become discouraged by by paul's approach here let me give you the positive side of this one because christ rose from the dead and because there is a resurrection for the dead, and the gospel has come to you in power and in truth, those of you who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, your faith is not in vain. Your, your, your faith is not empty. You have been given a faith that justifies you before a holy God. You have a faith whereby trusting in Christ and what He's done on the cross 
is a faith that brings forgiveness to your sins. And God has imputed what? His righteousness to you. And you're clothed in the righteousness of God. And you have right standing with God through your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reality behind the gospel. You have nothing to fear. You have faith. God has given you that faith. You can have confidence in your relationship to God because of the trust that He's put in you. It brings assurance. It brings hope. It brings joy. And that's why if you're here without Christ today, let me just call you uh, to Him, to believe in Him and trust in the One who died, who was buried and rose again on the third day. And your faith and through your faith in Him, you will be justified with your heavenly Father. Here's the third consequence. If Christ was not resurrected from the dead, uh, uh, your, your faith uh, is empty. Uh, and because your faith is empty, imagine this, he says, you are still in your sins. 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, so you got an empty faith and nothing, and you are still, therefore, in your sins. That's the next consequence. Either you are in your sins or you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, if Christ was not raised, you're still in your sins. And so here we are. I mean, here we are as a worshiping congregation. Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead. Here we are on, on Resurrection Sunday, all dressed up, had a nice breakfast together, visited, talked a little politics, a little finances, a little current events, a little Bible maybe taking place back there. And now we, here we are sitting here in these chairs and we have this faith that we say that's empty. Therefore, we're sitting here as what? People who are lost. You are just as lost as you are, were the day you were born. If, if, you didn't, if, you, if you don't have faith in Christ, if he, did not, if he was not raised from the dead. Didn't have Christ on the cross to pay for my sins? Yes, you did have cross to pay, uh, Christ to pay for your sins on the cross. But here's the thing. If the story ended with the cross, okay? So you have Jesus, comes into the world, wants to be the sacrificial lamb to die for the sins of his people, He's nailed to a cross. He sheds his blood. He dies. And then we saw, then comes the end. There's no resurrection. Are you forgiven if you believe in him? Do you have faith in him? Uh, do you have a, is your forgiveness such that your sins are forgiven now? And here's the answer is no. If Jesus Christ died on the cross and he was not raised from the dead, you would still be in your sins. You would still be guilty before God and are going to face his eternal wrath one day. Because you see, his resurrection is kind of the crowning victory of, of what he did on the cross. It's the Father showing that, uh, that, that the justice has been satisfied. My son is raised from the dead. Uh, and that's the wonder of the cross. Uh, also, he becomes the first fruit of you being raised from the dead. So if he did wasn't raised from the dead, none of us are ever going to be raised from the dead either. There's no full pardon without the resurrection. Yes, he must shed his blood. Yes, he must pay the, the price. But at the same time, he also must be raised from the dead. That's the whole gospel. The resurrection is an acceptance of the Father, the gavel going down. It's accepting His sacrificial death as full payment and satisfying His justice for all of His people. And it's also that His wrath has now been satiated or because of, of what Christ has done on the cross. And the only way you'll ever be freed from your sins is to have a Savior. And the only Savior that will save is one who died, but also one who rose again on the third day. If not, there's no, there's no other besides Christ that could fit that bill. I know in John 6, 68, you know, Peter was tempted. Well, Lord, whom shall we go to? If it's not you, who do we go to? Anybody asked, are you going to go away also? 
He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life alone. There's no other place to go except the risen Savior. Now let's take one more step lower in this descending understanding of consequences of Christ not being raised from the dead. Imagine this. That means everybody's perished. They have faith, which is empty. Therefore, they're still in their sins. And if you're still in your sins, you're going to die one day. What's going to happen? All will perish. Verse 18. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ, they have perished. Christ did not rise from the dead. Every professing Christian uh, who's ever walked on the face of the earth, not only is dead, will die, but will also perish in hell. I mean, think about it. Just stop with me and think about that. Let that sink in. That here we are, if Christ didn't, wasn't risen from the, hadn't been risen from the dead, that we all would be believing a lie. We're all still sinners. We're all guilty before God. And we're all going to perish. It means everyone who's ever said they were a Christian and believed, thought that they were a Christian, they all perished. It means everybody in the Bible perished. None of them were saved. None of them went to heaven. Abraham's in hell. John's in hell. Paul's in hell. My mom, who loved the Lord and gave her life for the Lord, is in hell today if Christ was not raised from the dead. Your friends and your loved ones and those who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and, and if Christ has not been raised from the dead, they're lost. And they're facing the wrath of Almighty God even right now. And that means you too. When you pass from this life, you will not perish. You, you all will perish and will face the judgment of God. Now, that's not a, an attractive, positive declaration on, on Resurrection Sunday, but that's, that's the downside. But let me preach the positive side. Here's the good news. Christ has been raised from the dead. And many of you, you have faith in Christ. And your faith is not in vain today. You have been trusting in Christ. You've been forgiven of your sins. That means that uh, we know that His sacrifice for our sins has been accepted by the Father. It means that you can have assurance that you're forgiven forever and will be raised from the dead as well. There's a lot that goes with this resurrection for all who have faith in Christ. The message that I preach today is a message of life. It's a message that brings hope, forgiveness, and eternal joy. There's one last consequence in, in, that's found in, in verse 19, this downward spiral of things to imagine if, in fact, Christ was not raised from the dead. Here's, here's, listen to this, verse 19. If in Christ we have, we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. So if you have, your only hope in Christ is in this life and whatever benefit it can come to you uh, in this life, uh, you, if you don't have the risen Savior in your heart and He hasn't saved you, you're a person who's miserable, most pitied. So here we are in the, in the somewhat blue chairs. Uh, we're here worshiping the Lord today. Uh, our faith is in vain. Well, we're, we're getting ready to... Uh, our sins are, are, are not forgiven. We're still sitting here, a bunch of wicked people, unforgiven. We're, we're waiting to perish forever in hell. And now this life, verse 19 says, we're miserable. And that's true. And if all those things are true of you, how, how would you feel today? If Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, if, if you got a windbag up front preaching an empty message, if, if in fact you have a, a faith that is just uh, based on lies, now you got this faith that's based on lies, and now you're still in your sins, and, and you know when you die, you're all going to go to hell. I mean, how do you feel about this life while you're waiting for all this to, to happen in, for you? And Paul says, it'll make you miserable. There's no other hope. There's no other meaning. 
in life. There's no plan B, no other religion you can turn to, no other scenario that's going to help you. It's like the cartoon that ends up by saying, that's all, folks, because that's all there is. Or Paul put it more more dramatically. He says, let's eat and drink. Let's be merry. If this isn't true, because tomorrow we're all going to die. And that's where a life without faith, a life without hope, a life without the joy of Christ in your life ultimately ends. And that's where I was when college, when I was, you know, I was an atheist back in those days, had no faith in Christ. And but God, God did bring me to understand if all this that I believed back then was true, then what, what's the ultimate end? There's no meaning. I mean, this is where you begin to pick up a gun and put it up to your, your temple and you say, well, there is no meaning in life. And so you give up hope. And, and, and a lot of people do that, and it's sad. But what we see here is the hope is in Christ. Some of you might be here without Christ. You wouldn't see your life quite as dimly as maybe Paul is describing it here. But let me say this to you. Whatever meaning you can eke out of your life without the Lord Jesus Christ being the center of your heart and being changed forever by His grace might come out of your job. You might get some satisfaction out of that and feel good about your work or life experiences, your travel, whatever it is. And whatever joy you might experience in this life is the only joy that you you gain from the temporary pleasures that you're able to gen up. Whether it's through drugs, whether it's through alcohol, whether it's through sex, whether it's through partying. I I don't know how you might find yourself uh, stimulating yourself with a temporary pleasure, but I'll tell you this. It all ends in the same place. And it all ends with misery. And that's what Paul is describing here. It's all going to seem meaningless when you come to the end. You know, people joke, oh, it was sure a good ride. I'll tell you what, it's not a good ride. It's a miserable ride. It's a life of futility. The last place you want to be sitting is in church on Easter or Resurrection Sunday, singing praises that are a lie with a faith that is in vain, waiting to perish and sitting here with a heart that's just full of misery and trying to gin up a little joy and sing a hymn that's a lie itself. Now, I'm glad that this isn't the case. I don't want to take us too, down too low here. because I want to bring us back up where, where we see the gospel. He is risen. Christ is risen from the dead. He is alive. Um, Who was it? I was talking to someone. I was talking to an atheist the other day, and uh, the atheist uh, agreed with me. I, I said that Christ, Christ rose from the dead. Christ was alive. Christ was alive. I said something like that. Christ was alive, and his response to me was, "No, Christ is alive." I said, "Well, you don't believe in God. You're correcting me on my theology." He understood that if Christ did rise from the dead, I, I was actually wrong in my grammar, if Christ really rose from the dead, He is alive. Now, not that he, he became alive then, He is alive today and will be alive for all eternity. And therefore, He's not going to leave us in the grave. And Our sins can be forgiven. And because He is alive, our gloom turns to glory. And the last verse I want you to look at is verse 20 where it says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's alive. You know, the first fruits, so you, you plant a crop and, and so you take the best off the crop and that, that's the first fruit off the crop, uh, the first picking that comes off of a, the season of harvest. But it also says it's going to be a big harvest to follow because you, that's just a sampling of what's to come. So he's the forerunner. He, he, he's the one who is the, the first fruits because he rose from the dead. All of those who are in him through faith are going to what? They're going to rise from the dead. 
Because he's alive, all who have faith in him are alive. And we have joy, and we have delight, and we have understanding of the eternity that lies ahead. What hope? As I close this morning, I, I want to proclaim to you clearly the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that Paul set out to remind us of in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, came into this world in the fullness of time. He died on a cross. That was his plan. He came with a plan to die and to be the, the one who would be the sacrificial lamb who would, who would bring redemption for all those that the Father had given him. As he came and he died and he, to save a people, he saved every one of them and he gave faith to all who would believe and all who trust in him, his death, burial, and resurrection have everlasting life. Let me ask you, have you ever come to Christ on his terms with a heart of true faith and true repentance? I mean, has that been your experience? If it has, it's because of his grace giving you that experience, but but has that, would that describe you? If not, let me call you to the Savior and call you to come. In your heart, come to Christ. Uh, in your heart, forsake your wicked ways. In your heart, turn away from all of that which you know has been sinful, disobedient to His law in your life, all those things that you are guilty of, a heart of repentance to turn from those sins. And then turn to Christ as your King and your Lord, the one who not only died, was buried, and rose again, but He reigns as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in your heart, bow before Him, submit to Him, be willing to follow Him wherever he, he leads you as your King and your Lord. And by the way, here's a little more good news for you. If you say, well, I don't know about me, you know, would God ever take me? He doesn't, you know, so you know where I've been, what I've done, all the things that I... And yes, He even knows you're here with a hard heart. He knows you have a rock-hard heart that by itself cannot believe. He knows you have a rock-hard heart that can't just confess your sins. You can't change yourself. So what does He do? By His grace, He powerfully comes and pulverizes your heart. And He makes you, gives you a new heart. And the new heart is not a heart of rock, it's a heart of flesh. And it's a heart where there comes new life in you and, and new, new, new purposes and, and new hope. And it's a heart of faith. Maybe you're like the man who in Italy about 100 years ago died and he didn't believe in the resurrection. He really didn't believe in the resurrection. I mean, this guy so was so opposed to the resurrection. He wanted to make sure that when he was buried, that if there was a resurrection, he would not get resurrected. And uh, this is a true story. So the man had a huge stone, big, thick stone laid on top of his grave in the ground. His thought was if this big, heavy stone was on top of the grave, there's no way if the resurrection came that he'd get out and he would be raised from the dead. And he had written and inscribed on the stone this, I do not want to be raised from the dead. I don't believe in it. Of course, why would he put the rock there if he didn't believe in it? But anyway... So evidently he was buried. But an acorn fell from the tree and was buried with him. And the acorn, over the years, began to take root. Right next to the oak tree. And over the years, it began to grow and have roots. And pretty soon, that stone broke. It broke wide open. Split the slab. And now there was a tall, towering oak tree. Where the, where the, where the, as it came up out of the ground. And here's the application. 
if an acorn has such power biologically to break a piece of concrete on top of a tomb, what would the power of the resurrection do in our lives? We're not talking about a little acorn. We're talking about the almighty resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ who's powerful enough to do what? Burst forth from the tomb as a new person in Christ. We shout out, He is risen. Christians, I know that there's, there's applications for us because at the very beginning of this chapter, He says, remember, remind yourselves of these truths. That tells me that this resurrection that we're, we've been looking at today is not something that we just, okay, file that away, I know that. No, it's more like we need to remind ourselves regularly. As we come to the table, we're going to see that. Remind ourselves regularly of the resurrection and what its implications on our life. If nothing else, when the enemy comes to put doubt in your mind, picking away like a magpie at your belief, You can always say that my Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and he rose again on the third day, and you cannot bring those doubts into my mind. Therefore, I will rise as Christ rose from the dead. That's the power of the resurrection. This one final note to all of us here today. He is alive. It's a historical fact. It's not an imagination He's alive. And we are not most miserable people. Praise the Lord. We are people filled with joy. We're people filled with delight. We're people filled with purpose. We're people filled with hope. We're people whose hearts are flooded with praise and thanksgiving for all that Christ has done, including His death, burial, and resurrection. So as we continue today in our worship of Him, and as we continue throughout the week in our worship of Him, lift up your heads, lift up your hearts, may they be flooded with joy, and may we be a people that worship the risen Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we close. uh,